like an extended devotional, and we'll read um, parts of Song of Psalm together and have some, I'll comment on, on these, and then there'll be some strong applications for us as well. I hope that's okay. And, um, you know, grief is, uh, is strange. Everyone is individual. Grief is, is uh, very unique. There's, not a, there's a pattern, but it's not typical for everyone. And uh, even just over there, I just started tearing up um, when that verse, you know, love is as strong as death. And so that may happen. I know other people who have gone through grief, just like something, just an unusual, just something just triggers it. And then they are overwhelmed with grief again. And so we will be patient with each other as we work through that these several next uh, few weeks. Um, but I chose to continue on with our sermon series, uh, nonetheless. Our sermon series has been on uh, God's love, the love of God. This is the third week in that sermon series, and um, you know, love is defined differently in different cultures, and it has been defined differently over the centuries. And studies have shown that what love uh, was commonly, the definition of love in, in 100 years ago or thousands of years ago is different than how we define love in our culture today here in, in Western uh, society and here in Canada, even here in Winnipeg, and so it changes. And so, depending where you're born or where you live, what century you're in, love would mean something different uh, to you. And so, it's kind of an ambiguous word when we say God is love. And so, it's important for us to define love uh, biblically, and it's very helpful to to use the Bible a lot. Uh, the Bible is something that has been written over centuries, and so the Bible has gone through so many different eras and so many different things, and so it helps us to be able to step outside of our culture a little bit and to have a better perspective, a little more, you know, as objective as, as possible. And uh, if you have traveled to other cultures, you probably have realized, oh, now I see things differently. Just because you, you've been able to get outside of your own culture and our own blinders, and maybe you put on other blinders from another culture, but it helps. And so this is what the Bible does for us. So we have been looking at um, passages in the Bible to talk about love of God specifically. And we've looked at Old Testament passages so far because there's a common misconception that you know, the New Testament's all about love and the Old Testament's all about judgment and wrath and that is not true. The common theme throughout the whole, all 66 books is love. Uh, but today uh, we change a little bit and we were focusing on love, but not necessarily the love of God. We talk about human love, and specifically love between a man and a woman in the context of marriage, erotic love and sexual love and this kind of love. And um, so this is what we will be um, looking at today. And uh, Song of Songs, I don't know if you have a different translation. Uh, the NIV, in my NIV says Song of Songs. The NIV in our computer said uh, like Song of Solomon. And are you familiar with you know, Song of Solomon? And traditionally, I think, um, maybe you don't have these, if, if you're new to the faith or if you didn't grow up in church, you sometimes have a bonus because you don't have to go back and relearn things that may have been uh, misinterpreted. Or anyways, Song of Songs is, I think, a good translation. Uh, the consensus today, uh, which it's hard to get a consensus among uh, biblical scholars who are you know, right-wing and left-wing and all sorts of other things all in the middle. Uh, but there is a consensus today that Solomon did not write the Song of Songs. Well, I think many of us grew up thinking, oh, this was, you know, Solomon, he's so wise and he's written a lot of things and he also wrote this. Uh, but uh, this, this is just, how, as, as we learn more, as archaeological discoveries happen and as we learn more about languages, there's, there's new insights that come. And there's a consensus today that Solomon did not write the Song of Songs. And it's uh, for a few reasons. There, um, 
whenever Solomon is mentioned uh, in the Song of Songs, it's very negative. And his lifestyle, you know, with all those, how many women, you know, and I don't know if they're called prostitutes or his harem or like all the concubines that he had, that kind of lifestyle is um, looked at negatively in the Song of Songs. So whenever Solomon, it's not in a good light. And so it seems that Solomon would not write that about himself. He had a different lifestyle. So the the, the, the purpose of Solomon, mentioning that this is Solomon's Song of Psalms, is, is to, he, he is, uh, his lifestyle is like a background upon which the Song of Psalms is, it's, it's like the anti uh, kind of Solomon. And so Solomon's lifestyle, compared to this monogamous, one man, one woman lifestyle that is characterized by this erotic love here in Song of Psalms, this, it's not, so this is why we, many, everyone believes that it was, Solomon is kind of the backdrop but it's not something that he wrote. And so the Song of Songs, this means it is like the, the songest of songs. It is the, like, scriptures, we talk about the Lord of Lords or the King of Kings. There are many kings, but there's a one king who is like the kingest, right? The most king of all kings, and that is Jesus. So King of Kings, Lord of Lords, it's a song of songs. Like, this is the song to end all songs. The best song ever written. This is what they are saying when they say this is the song of songs. And so um, just a little bit of background, and, and um, we're not going to read all of it, all of the song of songs. Um, we'll read a little bit of it, chapters 4 and 5 mostly, but I just want to give you a little of, of uh, background to help us understand. And the song of songs has a very um, pointed message uh, for us today as well. In the same way, its message was very pointed back then. Over the years, this message was lost a little bit, and I'm going to explain. A little, now we're, we're, we're coming back to it again. In that culture, it's always good to look at context, right, and what was happening in these days, what was going on. The Song of Songs was written many hundreds of years ago, and um, the people of Israel were surrounded by other cultures. These other cultures had different gods, a different kind of religious system, and Israel was uh, influenced by their neighbors. And you, as we read scripture, we want to be like our neighbors. You know, we, we want this. And we saw how God was against this and said, don't, don't bring in these other idols. Don't, don't do it this way. You are special. You are the people of God. I have chosen you. And this is how, in this relationship, we are to live. And, and fertility cults were very common and also very appealing um, to people. And they're around outside of Israel, the common belief was, like, the more sex, the better. Because sexual intercourse, and so they had these ceremonies and these celebrations where all this sort of stuff was happening in the culture. And so this idea of, like, one man and one woman together in this committed kind of monogamous relationship was not part of their culture. And so over against that, there was some teaching that was needed. There was Baal worship. You've heard about these other idols. So because this is so common, Song of Songs is here in our scriptures to give kind of a, an other teaching. This is how sex is. This is how erotic love is expressed, not in our culture. And so for many years, that message was lost because for many, in the West anyways, a lot of our values and all of our morals were pretty much the same as the rest of, of society um, because Christendom or Christianity had such a large influence. And so a lot of the things that we, we grew up with, oh, well, yeah, everyone thinks the same thing too. And so for many years, it was just, oh, yeah, obvious, like we know this. But things have changed. The sexual revolution, um, the, 
uh, abortion, um, sexual, uh, what's it called, uh, birth control, sex. These things, all these new inventions are very pretty recent, have changed how our society views sex. And so these days, our views are, are often at odds with the views around us. And so this is why Song of Songs, again, has taken this, it's really poignant and pointed for us again today in a society that is not very Christian in, in values or morals or whatever. Yes, yeah, some still overlap, but not as much as it used to. And so for these reasons, uh, Song of Songs is, has a very good message for us today. And part of me wishes the youth were here instead of at Youthquake. Part of me is glad, because I have four uh, youth that are at Youthquake. They're not listening to this today, but these are messages that we all need to hear, uh, not just youth, but especially, um, well, maybe especially youth, but all of us. And so, uh, what else do I need to say about the Song of Songs? Um, maybe that's all for now. Let's, let's get into this. I'd like to, to look at this. We'll look at chapters 4 and chapter 5, and um, so open your Bibles to chapter 4, and let's, let's just read through this, and then I'll bring out some implications and applications for us today. I'll probably forget some, but... You're forgiving, right? Only Bonnie nodded. <laughs> Chapter 4, verses... Um, now it's, very, it's very picture... It, it, it's hard to understand. You know, it's kind of, sometimes when we read Revelation, it's like, what is all this symbolism? And uh, anyways, I'll, I'll do what I can. I don't want to comment on... You know, there's another reason I was distracted a little bit this week is I'm reading about these things. Is that, is that what that means? And it's kind of a bear, whoa, that's really, it's quite graphic. It, it's, it's very erotic and in their language. But anyways, um, chapter four, um, oops, let me just read this for you. It should be, Laura's going to follow along on the screen here. Here is, um, here's a man talking about uh, his woman. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veils are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. So love is universal, but maybe how it's expressed is not very universal. These are not good pickup lines you know, for today. You know, Hey, how are you doing? Your teeth are like sheep. Oh, thank you. It doesn't work. Uh, but... Dentistry has evolved, and while we have really good teeth, back then probably teeth wasn't all that great, and so it, it's a compliment. Um, and, and this is typical, too, um, of, of a certain kind of erotic poetry. With, it's called a wasp. I have no idea, W-A-S-F, why, where language that comes from, but it starts ahead and moves down and describes the physical attributes and, and things that are appealing to the other person as they're, they're looking from head all the way down to toe. And so there's several of these. There's other parts of scripture that has some of these. It's a little bit wasp-like in Daniel when they're describing this big statue. It starts, you know, but it's not really uh, erotic. So but anyways, it's similar. So these are some of the reasons why we know um, that this is um, erotic poetry. It used to be, okay, I'm going to back up to the background a little bit, that maybe you'd heard this too. This is not erotic. It's not, it's not sexual. This is a picture of God's love uh, for his people. And it's just expressed this way. It's about God. How, and, and throughout scripture, the, there's the marriage imagery, right? God is, is married to his people. And so when people uh, run off to other idols, it's like he, they're cheating on him. And that was, you know, God referred to that as prostitution. So there is this marriage analogy in the relationship described in the Bible between God and his people. 
And so for many years, we thought, oh, this can't be you know, as sexual as it looks. It, it just can't be. And so this is how we've interpreted it. But there's no mention of God uh, in Song of Songs. Uh, it's all this, these, these people, these two lovers. But because of some discoveries that we've had over the years, we see that there's very similar poetry, like almost identical, outside of the people of Israel, out in other cultures surrounding them. And so when you find, you know, like a fragment that has this poetry, you think, oh, and it's not, you know, in, in the Bible, it's like, oh, this is obviously love poetry. It's the same thing. It's like almost identical in many areas. So we, we realize this is, it is not first and foremost about God's love and us. Even though we may have heard that, this, this is again a consensus that is, that is out in, in scholarship. It is human love between a man and a woman. It's erotic love poetry. And yes, we can make some, some um, allusions to, to God's love for his people and how he is faithful and, and always you know, keeps his promises. But first and foremost, this is um, human erotic love poetry. So anyways, other than the teeth and, and the mouth, your lack is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone, you see that kind of moving down, right, the body, top, down the neck, and on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. It's kind of funny, yeah, funny, right? Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountains of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my, do- my darling. There is no flaw in you. This man is describing the physical attributes that turn him on of his, of his wife, of his bride. He refers to bride many times, and you'll see that coming. This is a, this is a marriage relationship that he's referring to. He says, this is my bride. And, and um, verse six, until the day breaks, like, he wants to make love to her all night long. This is what these verses are saying. His wife, okay, his bride. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of Myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. This woman, in this man's eyes, is, is hot. She is smoking hot. This is what he's saying. And so this is, um, it's important for us to, to realize this is what's happening because, um, you know, we talk about, uh, in Hollywood or in feminist studies, and for good reason, they, they talk about this male gaze and how women are to be looked at. And, you know, men are always looking and admiring. And, and um, here, this is male gaze, but in its proper context. It, it's, it's, it's not, like, wrong to admire the beauty of the woman who is your wife. And here is, it put, it's, it's a good example for us to put... Well, anyways, um, I'm just going to move on because it gets, gets better. Um, it says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the, mount, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's den and the mountain haunts of leopards. He says, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. See, this is the third time he's mentioned bride, I think. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love my sister, my bride, how much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. He is, he is inviting 
for we, we she is um, inaccessible. You know, Lebanon up on the mountains, and he's we see here um, an invitation, not a coercion, not somebody using manipulation to get what he wants. And he's not asserting his rights or doing anything against her will. It's it's an invitation. Please come, but it's not a forcing of it. And and culture, movies, everything tells us that you know it's a right, and um, we deserve this. This is not the love, the erotic love that is depicted here in the Song of Songs. And then verse twelve it says, "You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain." He's inviting her to open herself up to him, but it's an invitation. The key point is. She's locked up, like she's out of bounds right now. She's, she's far away. Your, planters, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits with henna and nard and saffron and all these beautiful scents, smells, and all the finest spices. You are a garden, fountain and a garden fountain and a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. This week there's... Other news that broke on the front of Winnipeg Free Press. But Peter Nygaard, uh, just awful, tragic. I felt almost like I was reading pornography as I was reading that front page uh, article. He's Nygaard, we see those fashions uh, in the malls and, and stores, and he's using the money he makes. There's a class action lawsuit against him. So I don't know if it's proven or not, but anyways, uh, class action means there's lots of people involved, right? Lots of allegations, lots of accusations. Uh, for He's using to traff to to traffic young girls, many underage, to his place in the Bahamas, and um, it's well documented and stuff. So this, this is, it's nothing new. This is close to home for us, um, and, uh, but this happens all the time. This is kind of where we have become, and it is not right. And often it's, it's um, against women in our society because men are, are generally speaking more powerful and stronger and, and they can force things if, if they want to. But this is, this is not what we're seeing here in the Song of Songs. He's inviting, he's not bullying, he's not manipulating, he's not even using physical force, he's not claiming any rights to get what he wants. There's, there's mutual respect in this relationship. And this is part of our scripture. You see, for some people they think, why is this in the Bible? This whole book about sex? And we, we don't want to talk about it. We want to repress all of that. And so for, for those of us who are kind of in, in that vein, there's, there's a whole book in the Bible all about erotic love between a man and a woman who are married to you. There's, there's a book about sex in the Bible, so you need to know that. But then on the other hand, there's the other side, there's people who are kind of too obsessed, not too obsessed, just obsessed uh, with sex, and it's maybe all they think about. And so for you, out of 66 books in the Bible, I want to tell you, there's only one okay, that's written all about sex. So it's just kind of you know, repressing or just be too infatuated. It's, it's the same thing. It's the wrong balance. So there is a whole book devoted to this, but at the same time, there's 65 other books that talk about God's love and other things. Anyways, like I said, it's kind of a running commentary here as we go. And then verse, chapter 4, verse 16, she says, 
That was him speaking. Now she says, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. And then he responds, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. So the relationship has been consummated. By invitation, by mutual respect, it's very um, explicit, isn't it? But this is, this is the love between a man um, and a woman. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because there's more things to um, verse 9. Here is a chorus of, of women, maybe, who are singing. Um, it says in the NIV, it's friends, how is your beloved better than others? Okay, so they're saying to, to the woman, like, how, why is he so great? How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? And so she responds in verse 10, praising the attributes of her man. She said, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as wavy. See, again, starting at the top and you know, moving down, it's kind of their, their poetry. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies, digging, dripping with myrrh. His arms like rods of gold, set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble, set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. She is also describing how amazing this man looks to her. And so in the context of, of a marriage relation, this is, this is an important part of, of marriage to, to allow yourself the freedom to praise. Husbands, we just had Valentine's Day, you praise the beauty of your... Why do you love her so much? What, what, what do you like about her? Women need to hear this, don't you? And Valentine's Day is one day a year, and that's not good enough, which is why sometimes it's... I, I, uh, what's the word? I repel, I... Anyways... I don't go along with these cultural holidays and Hallmark holidays because once a year is not good enough. But at the same time, look at here's a confident woman and she's responding as well and she's also saying what she likes about her man and her husband. And so it's, it goes both ways. There's a mutual respect for one for another. And, and so maybe this is one thing we can think of men and women who are married. How, how can you use words to describe how lovely your partner is and make sure you, you do that? more than once a year. I'm preaching to myself as well as I preach to you. Um, again, this is the song of songs. This is the epitome of a love poetry. Chapter 5, verse 16. Um, she says, his mouth is sweetness is stuff. He is altogether lovely. She says, this is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. I am, he is mine. And and I'm his. There's that, like, we're together in this. This is my beloved. And, and he's saying the same thing. There's that closed off of that relation. There's one-on-one. It's, just, it's just, just me and him. You know, it's just me and her. It's us two. This, this tightness, this relationship, it's not promiscuous. It's not, you know, the more, you, the, more the merrier when it comes to sex partners. It is it is belonging one to another. I, as I read this, and I'm going to share this story with you, 
It's about someone you do not know. In just a case that sounds familiar, this person lives several thousand kilometers away. Uh, he's married now, but before he was married, um, he, he's a friend of mine, so um, completely anonymous, but uh, he met a, a girl, and um, he was, uh, loved this girl. And he thought, this is probably the one. And he's making plans, and you know, how can I propose to her? And, and as they got closer, you know, they were um, getting to know each other better and, and opening up and, and sharing things about their lives. And uh, he, he was addicted to pornography, but he was open about it. He's a, he knew that he had this issue, and he wanted her to know. I just want you to know everything. And, and it's, a, it's a good thing, I think, to, you know, before you enter into a relationship, obviously, a, like a committed, married marriage type of relationship, and, and his friends knew, and uh, you know, we sometimes have accountability software on our phones or computers, but he didn't need that, because he never hid anything. He was very eager to confess and, and to share, oh yeah, you know this, every week when he met with his friends, and he wasn't repenting, because repent means you know, turning, right, 180 and going down. He was, he was fine confessing, he knew it was wrong, kept asking for forgiveness, so accountability software helps people who want to hide something. But he wasn't hiding anything, but it didn't help, week after week. And he was an IT specialist, that was his job, and so even accountability wouldn't have helped anyways, because they always know how to get around, you know, software or internet modems or whatever. His friend said, you know, we just need to take your modem out of your house and uh, just not have any internet. And he said, well, I live on my phone, I'm an IT, and what, emails, well, you can go to the coffee shop, you know, if you need to access. But that wouldn't work. He said, no, I, like, we live. We, how, could you live without internet? It'd be really hard. I know some convicted sex offenders are, that's part of their sentence, but um, the rest of us, it's pretty difficult. And so she was surprised, his girlfriend, and she said, I need some time to think about this. So she went away and she got some wise counsel from, from uh, um, older women and people that she respected. And then he, she came back and she said, um, I will not share you with other women. Uh, it's, you have to choose. It's, uh, and they weren't in a marriage, already committed relationship, they were dating, right? So she said, you have to choose. And I see in that, I think, well, good for her, even though he was my friend, I thought, good for her. She's confident, she's assertive, she knows what she wants, she said, this, you have to choose. I'm not sharing you with other women. And I think this is what's expressed here. Like, like he's mine, and, and I'm his, and you don't belong to others. Not in this context. And so before they entered into a marriage relationship, she just made that very clear. And the relationship ended, and he was heartbroken. And uh, things changed, and uh, he's happily married now. Um, but it's a, it's a strong addiction. It is something that one person said to me, it's something that Satan uses in our society. I mean, it's so prevalent, and it's so powerful. It's a very strong addiction. But we do have power to, um, to have victory. And many of us have found victory. And so... Um, now it's turning into sermon on pornography, anyways. <laughs> this love in Song of Songs is, is this mutual, uh, monogamous, erotic love committed between two people and no others. So anyways, um, I just want to conclude um, by saying um, one thing, two things, and then we'll look at chapter 8, verse 6. Um, it's very easy for us to think Song of Songs is not really to be taken literally. 
uh, it makes us uncomfortable maybe, and if, if it does, that's, that's a good indication of, of something that maybe needs to be made right. But it's very easy, especially for men, to think, you know, it's just an allegory. It's about, it's about a, a story. It's about a God's relationship with his people and how faithful he is and, and how faithful we are to be, you know, to God. And maybe this is the reason why for so many years it had been interpreted this way. Because if it's an allegory, then, then us men, we don't really have to change how we behave, you know, with other women. Because it's, don't take it literally, you know, it, it's just, you know, and, and we're not perfect. All through scripture, we know God's people are, are faithless and he always comes back to us. And so you see, it's easy for us. And I'm not sure if that's why, but maybe that was one of the reasons why this has always been interpreted differently. But now we know because of archaeological evidence and, and recent discoveries in how language is done, this is a literal love song between man and woman in our Bible to describe, to give an antidote, like a different teaching about sex than what is prevalent in the societies around us, just like it was meant originally. And so we take these words uh, to heart. In Psalm chapter 8, Psalm, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6, probably one of the more popular or famous lines, it says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's a jealousy unyielding as the grave it burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. You've heard those expressions, love is as strong as death. It comes from song of songs. And so, for all the days we have, all the days that have been given to us, love well. You're in a relationship. We all have relationships, and I know maybe this is taken a little bit out of the context of the erotic love, but love well. Because... We are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. And we don't know when that is going. We are mortal. Only God is immortal. We don't know, do we? The next day from the next hour from the next. Nobody knows. So love is as strong as death. Love well. How can, if you're married, how can you love your spouse better? If you're not in, in a marriage relationship, maybe you're dating, how can, you how can you love the people in your family? This is the truth. This is what scriptures say. It's here for a purpose. And so, can we love well? People around us, the people aren't going to church anymore as often as they used to. People are fed up with religion, but they're not fed up with love. And when they see how well we love each other, they'll be attracted to Jesus. Because we can only love each other well. We can only love our spouses well if we have Jesus' love within us. So if you find that hard to love well, just ask. Ask God to fill you with his love, to overflowing every day, every hour, keep asking. I can't love this person. I don't know why, but I just can't. Lord, fill me with love for them. So that's my challenge for you. Let's love well. Let me pray, and then we'll celebrate communion. Heavenly Father, you are a loving God. You're compassionate and gracious and, and all this stuff that we learn, it, we love that. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love God and love others. So Lord, help us to love well. Help us to love you well. Help us to love others well. We left to our own devices, we can't do this. Give us your strength. Fill us with your power. 
fill us with people around us who encourage us to follow along this way. Open our eyes to any of the idols that have infiltrated our lives from our culture. Fill us with your love, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Sam will lead us in uh, celebrating communion this morning.